Today we have a very special guest. His name is Daniel Briggs. Hello, Daniel. Hello. How are you? Extremely well. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. I would like to start by asking you, uh, what are you doing here? I mean to say, mm, you are British, aren't you? That's true. Um, okay. A lot of people ask me the same question. What is a, a British person doing working in a Spanish university? Um, perhaps not the most frequent thing to find. Um, well, I moved to this country because I completely fell in love with the with the culture and the food and the, the people and the way of life. And um, given that my um, my profession is within the theme of studying crime and deviance, uh, I came here and was offered a job with the hope of uh, expanding the importance of, of research in Spain, researching criminological issues in Spain, developing the discipline uh, as best I could, using in particular... Uh, a special type of research method which is called ethnography. And ethnography is based on observation and open-ended interviews. So when you go and study crime problems, you go and observe, you participate to some degree uh, and try and understand uh, from a very subjective point of view why people are engaged in particular forms of crime. So my my pr principal role here with the Universidad Europea is to develop research, to um, teach students about the findings and hopefully develop the discipline. Okay, and in, in which faculty are you teaching? I'm teaching at the moment in the uh, Facultad de Ciencias Sociales and the Departamento de Derecho, um, um, which I teach on the criminology degree, the Grado de Criminología. Um, my signatures are Política Criminal, um, crime policy for those of you who don't speak Spanish but assume that you would speak English so you understand me um, Prevención y Tratamiento de Delincuencia which is um, crime prevention uh, Victimología which is victimology and I also direct the uh, grados, the sort of dissertations at the end of the grado process Where did you learn your Spanish? It's really, really good well, I think my Spanish is okay um, it's a little bit better than dos cervezas, por favor, uh, <laughs> but not quite as fluent as perhaps, um, obviously, a native speaker. But um, yeah, my wife is, is Spanish, so I, I had no alternative but to learn the language because her family don't speak uh, English. So uh, I was faced with that challenge about six years ago, and since then I attended about 18 months' worth of courses, and the rest I've just picked up from speaking to people like yourself. And... Uh, how how did you feel when you first came to Spain and you had to speak in Spanish? Mm -hmm. Or it, when you, you had to understand people speaking to you in Spanish? How did you feel? Um, I already had a fairly good idea about the culture, but it's very different to come here for your holidays and see family than to actually live here day in, day out in, you know, in a community of people that only speak. Uh, Spanish and obviously I think we have the reputation as Brits of being, having our own enclaves our own little particular communities where people don't speak English but um, I was pretty much forced from, from day one to communicate every day yeah, in Spanish which is wonderful and I would encourage any student who wants to learn English to, to immerse themselves like that if they want to learn the language properly because one of the main problems I had when I started was that I was I was thinking about the language with a British, um, with my British head on, so I wasn't using the, you know, the terminologies or uh, or thinking like a Spanish person. So my Spanish appeared very 
strange to people. But now I've been here for nine months. It's can you think of any funny situation which you've been through because of the language, the usage of of your language, what you said, or Uh, I think I think the most funny the funny situations have to be when you know I'm with my colleagues and my students and they um, they ask me about. um, English things, but because they say it with a with a Spanish accent, I don't recognize it. So, <laughs> one of the most beautiful things for me was to to discover that the that, that people offer online courses. And for for a while, I was thinking, "What the hell is online? <laughs> what, what does what does online <laughs> mean?" And then and then I realized that online means online. <laughs> so uh, so it's wonderful how we have uh, converted you to some of our words. Now, and uh, there's another question I would like to ask you <clears throat> excuse me you said before that your research is about crime and deviance what could you explain what deviance mean uh, yeah I mean it's quite a broad thing for me to say you know what is crime and, and, and what is deviance crime is obviously something which which breaks a particular was a violation of the law I suppose an act which violates the law deviance is a little bit more um, ambiguous a little bit more Fluid, it's a term which is quite fluid, in the sense that it may be considered to be breaking a law, but it may only be accepted to be breaking social norms. So it might be, it might not be a crime, but it might be um, mal visto or poorly seen by society. So it could be a deviant behaviour, something which deviates from what is normal, which could be interpreted as a crime, depending on the culture or the particular law in any particular country. Mm-hmm. And uh, why do you think some people uh, can become uh, deviant? Why do you think they? One of the, one of the beautiful things about studying criminology is uh, is that you you get to understand that uh, concepts of why people do wrong or why they break the law don't only rely on something which is pathologically wrong with them it's not something genetic it's not something they were born to do it's not something that um, you know is inherently pathological Um, the wonderful thing about criminology is that you understand the process the process is the the factors the social pressures that um, influence people to behave in such a way um, to you know break the law or or be in situations where they become more vulnerable to um, commit crime that, than others. Um, so it's a very complicated question. You have to invite me back to answer that. But any understanding of crime doesn't just uh, reside with looking at individual behavior. We're not just individuals in the society. There are other things which um, play a part in, in why we do things. So, for example, our socioeconomic status, the cultural upbringing we have, Our family environment, the type of education we get, you know, the the, the socialized the socialized process, um, which contributes um, to to these kind of things, not just a moment of of madness, which is I think can be often interpreted to mean why people get involved in crime. It's more of a process. It just came to my mind. I'm sure you heard about. Uh, I think he's called Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Or Russell Brand. Sorry. Yeah. Um, He's a bit of a deviant, isn't he? Um, I don't know too much about his life, but I know that he is a fairly successful sort of comedian in the UK, and he had uh, a bit of a history with drugs and and crime, and came good and came out of rehabilitation, and sort of talks quite critically uh, about 
the government and the way the world operates. And for that, I take my hat off to him because I think he's a, in that respect, he's probably a good example of how someone can turn a negative experience into something positive, albeit that he is quite controversial sometimes mm. when he does appear in the media. Um, I think generally his message is to help people to to think a bit more critically about um, about the government and um, and why people suffer and why people take drugs and things like that. But you think people are willing to listen to people like uh, like himself? You know, it's interesting that you you ask me that because um, there's a lot of apathy with what politicians say, um, not just in the UK but across the world. Uh, it's connected with the sort of um, dissolution of democracy, the falling legitimacy of democracy, and it's 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 kind of good that people like that can come forward um, that do have this sort of dodgy background, if I'm able to use that that terminology, um, to throw to relate to an audience that can connect with people like Russell Brand and and try and talk about the real issues uh, that the world faces otherwise it's very diff very easy to get sucked into a um a kind of a, a way of thinking of just accepting what's going on it's very easy to just turn the television off it's very easy to you know um ignore these things that go on but i think someone like him has has great power and great influence because he has charisma he has that background which people can connect with And and he is quite you know provocative and radical and to be honest if we want to see change that's probably what we need to see isn't it? <laughs> yes, certainly. But another thing I'm ask I'm thinking of is uh, can we really believe what the media say? Even can we even believe uh, this guy? Uh, well, that's this uh, guy we're talking about, Russell Brand. Uh, well, we, you know what I mean? It's we, like. Yeah. Um, Everything seems to be so manipulated. So you you never know what you, what is really happening. This is true. This is a, a very philosophical question, which um, I think the real social thinkers of the seventeenth, eighteenth century onwards, you know, from the Enlightenment period, have been trying to um, answer for, for for centuries, which has got more complicated, com complex over the last thirty four year, thirty or forty years, with the advances in technology, the the power the media have, the development of technology, the digitalization of of the media, and how those media forms uh, relate to um, political power as well. So, when you watch something on television or hear something or people speaking on the radio, or you're looking at what's trending on the internet, it's very difficult to trust those sources of information as as sources which are correct, which give you um, the truth, if we can ever find what the truth is. Um, given that it goes, information goes through various channels of, of editing and manipulation, as you say, because at the end of the day, um, there are marketing companies, there are governments behind the distribution of information so at the end of the day what is given to us is probably far from what is but perhaps there's only glimpses of what might be if that makes sense could you elaborate that a bit more um what the glimpses of, of what what is going on well yeah, what might be i'll give an example of the of the way news is 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 condensed into sound bites of you know 10 15 seconds um 
you know, how, how can you absorb uh, a social issue in its entirety in 10 or 15 seconds on the news? How can you make sense of, of what is going on? So the very fact that a complex issue has been reduced to that amount of time in a slot on a particular day uh, doesn't do the issue justice. So that's probably why many people these days don't have a great awareness or conscience or deep understanding of of why certain things you know are happening in the world, why levels of inequality are 50 times what they were 40 years ago, why are there uh, why is there civil unrest in Brazil, you know, these kind of questions which which are very complex issues and never done justice by the media. Okay. And the thing is the media is like as you said before mm, you know, they're trying to manipulate things in a way, maybe not on purpose, we don't know if it's on purpose or not, but do you think the media could do something to, or maybe journalists could do something to... Um, do, do you think journalism is free? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think if you asked any budding potential journalist uh, going into the uh, industry, they would... Um, have these very honest intentions of reporting issues in their entirety of you know doing justice to to what they see but i think that, i mean although i have no experience whatsoever of 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 that industry only having done interviews for for newspapers and and radio stations and on television as well it strikes me as a very pressured industry which um is in competition with other industries as well for the the acquisition of that information and its distribution. So, when you have various media companies, um, um, when you have various media companies that are in competition for information, it, it makes it a very um, cutthroat world. Um, information is not got to for its distribution in its entirety. It's got to be transmitted as soon as possible. Um, and that's where we get into dangerous territory about speculation. Um, in my view, there's much more speculation about the possibility of things than the actuality of things, which is why um, you know, why no one can trust the, the economic markets because it's all speculations of what certainty is, is going on in the markets. And, and that, I think the, the media industry suffer from, from that as well. I, um, I hope that answers your question. Daniel, the thing is, we're going to stop here. No problem. Okay. And we hope to be able to talk to you another day. Absolutely. You, you can invite me back anytime to talk about anything. Thank you so much. You're welcome.